Good morning, Cross Timber Baptist Church. I was beginning to wonder if the rain was keeping everybody away, but everybody has come in. It's wonderful. And yes, as you can tell, I am not Brother Rusty. Him and his wife are on a sabbatical, and yay, I'm excited for them that they'll get some rest. Um, and this morning, we want to welcome our guest pastor, this Josh Pinkston. Is that right? Have you preached here before? I thought so. You look familiar. Sorry. <laughs> but I also would like for you guys to welcome our missionaries and residents have arrived. Y'all can wave your hands. And I apologize if I crucify your name. It's Sastry and Paige and Joshua Misala. <laughs> and they are in from India and will be here for quite a while while they are waiting for the birth of their second child. And we are very excited for them. Um, the most important thing that I'm supposed to announce is that we have a business meeting, a call business meeting on May 7th to approve recommendations from the nominating committee and a nursery camera policy. And now for the most important announcement of the day is from the uh, Stanley Life Group. in January having a fifth Sunday fellowship right here. Right here. No. We didn't practice. Okay. Uh, so we were ha- we were asked to host. Last time we had the youth hosted with game playing. Well, this um, next Sunday, we're going to have a special time with some old hymns. You've heard of Gaither and their homecoming friends. Well, this is homecoming friends a la Cross Timber. I mean, you know. So, we want you here. I think you're going to hear and participate with a lot of songs that you've heard in the past. And one of the things that we would like to do, those of you that grew up hearing some of these songs, maybe there's a particular song that meant a lot to you or to some members of your family. We would like to hear the story behind why that means so much to you. So be prepared with those special memories that you can share with the full group. Another thing is some of you I know don't like to get out at night drive or whatever if you will let us know someone from our life group will pick you up and take you home so just let us know um, and we'll be happy to do that so you know when you share information verbal is always good but a picture is worth a thousand words so we have something for you to be sure not to miss Okay, you got the message? Finger foods, by the way. Don't forget your finger foods. Thank you.
Testament. So our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks this morning for the opportunity to come together to worship you, Lord. We bow before you. We just ask that you speak to us this morning through the music, through your word, through the prayers that are offered and testimonies that are given. And right now we just want to give back a portion of all that you've given to us, Lord. So we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.
you stand and sing with us this morning?
Is this thing on? All right, cool. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. My name is Josh Pinkston, as I said earlier. I'm the community engagement pastor for First Baptist Burleson. And as I understand it, we are helping y'all's pastor take some much-needed time off. I thank you for the opportunity to come here and bring God's word this morning. Uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 11 today, but before we get there, would you please pray with me? Dear Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you use it to shape us and grow us, Lord. We ask that you open our minds to what it has to teach us and soften our hearts to receive it in humility. Use your word to convict us and use your spirit to bring us to response. We are your work, Lord, both as a body of believers and as individuals. And we look to your word as our source of power and guidance. Amen. We're going to cover a bit of ground this morning, and I want to begin by reading Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And it says this, When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who was not offended by me. Now this is probably a passage that you are relatively familiar with. John the Baptist is currently in prison. He dies in a few chapters ahead. Don't want to spoil it for you, but that happens. Um, and he's hearing about the ministry of Jesus, and for whatever reason... It doesn't fit the script of the Messiah that John has in his mind. So he sends his disciples to go and ask Jesus if perhaps John was mistaken as to who he believed Jesus to be. And if you want some insight as to what John the Baptist might have been picturing, you can look back to Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12 where John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here's where perhaps we get to what John had in mind. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't know what you're thinking, but it looks like John the Baptist was picturing something more like what we find in the book of Revelation. The war horses, the swords, the fire, the judgment, the scary stuff. Um, but what he sees and hears about is Jesus going around healing a bunch of people and teaching them. And Jesus' response to John's disciples is along those very lines. But he points to the very things that are making John question 
as the signs that the kingdom is present. And Jesus seems to be making reference to certain passages in Isaiah in doing so. And Jesus points John the Baptist away from an understanding of the Messiah that focuses solely on the aspect of judgment and pushes him to have a picture of the Messiah that makes room for mercy and salvation and perhaps even ultimately on sacrifice. And we need to understand that it wasn't and indeed isn't just John the Baptist who struggles with their expectations of who Jesus is. Verse 6 that we read should be as haunting and challenging to us as it likely was to John. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Another way to understand it is to say, blessed is the one who does not fall away because of me. Are we offended by Jesus? Are we unhappy with how he doesn't meet our desires and expectations? Are we ourselves tempted to fall away? To shy away? To walk away when our image conflicts with his? Or are there some times where we wish he was just different? Do we try to reshape him when our desires or when society's desires conflict with those of the kingdom. Before we go there, though, we need to look at some larger context. Because I want to argue that for this passage of its full weight bear down upon us this morning, we need to look backward at what comes before it in chapter 10, and then forward to how Jesus makes application of this interaction and chapters 11, 7, verse 7 through, 7 through 19. So looking backwards, we're going to go and read Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. 
And truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The reason we are looking back is because it is important as we move forward to understand that what we want to say about Jesus, what we want to apply from the interaction with John the Baptist and his disciples, and what we will look at as we get into the next part of chapter 11, speaks to the church and its calling and mission. And what I mean by that is this, the message that Jesus gives to the disciples in chapter 10, verse 7, is the same message that he begins his ministry with in 4.17, which is the same thing we saw John the Baptist proclaiming in chapter 3, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message that Jesus' disciples are called to proclaim is the message that Jesus himself proclaimed. There's a continuity here. This is what the church is called to today as well. We are called to proclaim the good news of the coming of the kingdom and to call people to repentance so that they can have a part in that kingdom when it comes in its fullness. The gospel proclaimed is the means God has supplied the church to grow and expand the kingdom. Let me repeat that. The gospel proclaimed is the means God has supplied the church, his church, to grow and expand his kingdom. And Jesus in chapter 10 simply tells them to go. Proclaim and let those who receive it receive it, and those who don't receive it refuse to do so to their own eventual judgment. But we also see something of importance in chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus tells and equips the twelve to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And if these things sound a bit familiar, it's because we just read about them in chapter 11. It is because they are the very things that Jesus points to in chapter 11 as the signs that he is the one, the Messiah, the bringer of the kingdom, Except here in chapter 10, it's the disciples of Jesus doing these things. So here's the second truth I want you to think about. The kingdom is present wherever the king is at work through and present in his people. And that's a glorious truth, but it's also a heavy one. God's people are called to be the manifestation of the kingdom in the midst of this present evil age. And what is emphasized here is that they do so by bringing mercy, proclaiming salvation, and exhibiting sacrificial love. It's the same concept found in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells the disciples that people will see their good works, their good deeds, and glorify the Father who is in heaven. When God's people represent him, his glory, and his greatness, and his merciful love is what is on display through them. Jesus even states in chapter 10, verse 40, whoever receives you receives me, 
And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You see, the kingdom is present wherever the king is at work through and present in his people. Are we manifesting the kingdom in our actions? And we don't have time to fully get into it, but chapter 10 goes on to predict opposition to the kingdom. It will speak of people being arrested and tried. It will speak of being dragged before governors and kings, which might also sound a little bit like John the Baptist. Dragged before them to bear witness to Jesus. Chapter 10 will speak of the world and family turning against Jesus' disciples and being hated by all for Jesus' name's sake. And throughout this, there is a call to stand firm in the faith and maintain witness and identification with Jesus. That's in various parts of chapter 10, like verses 32 through 33, verses 37 through 39 as we said in verses 40 through 42. Blessed is the one in face of the opposition of the world who is not offended by Jesus, who does not fall away because of Jesus. Now, having looked backwards for some context, let's look forward where Jesus goes in chapter 11. And I'm going to read starting in verse 7 in chapter 11, but we're really going to focus on verses 16 through 20. And it says, As they went away, John's disciples are speaking of there, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. 
And then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So, after his encounter with the disciples of John the Baptist, Jesus basically reaffirms the importance of John and his role in being the forerunner of the Christ. Now, there's more to it than that, but I don't want to get sidetracked. That's another lesson for another day. But look at this this way. Jesus has affirmed his status and role to John's disciples. He then affirms John's status and role. And then he questions the status of his audience. Of this generation witnessing these things. And he gives this great little parable about a group of children trying to get others to join in on their game. They try to appeal to their friends in one way, possibly a wedding-type game, full of joy, but it does not work. Then they try to appeal to them in another way, a, a funeral game, possibly, but it doesn't work either. They have some sort of Goldilocks friends, I guess, you know, wanting that thing that is just right for them before they will accept it. Or maybe perhaps they will just always find a reason refuse to join in. And Jesus compares this to his generation's reaction to John the Baptist and himself. And then in verse 20, we find the sad news. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, it'd be easy to take that and start to berate our generation, right? There's a whole world out there that we could, like, attack with this passage. Why do they refuse? What's wrong with them, right? But before we simply make the step of applying it to, to our generation, to the secular world around us, to those people, let's, uh, let's ask how it applies to the church first less fun, but it's probably more necessary. How offended by our king are we? How strong do we cling to Jesus as he presents himself? How strong do we hold to him in the face of opposition? Or do we try to reshape his image to make him more comfortable to us? And to make ourselves more comfortable in our society? How do we try to reshape Jesus to be more appealing to the world around us? Or perhaps we could ask the question, what are we here at church for today? What do we want out of church? And how do we try to present our church to others, to market it to others? You see, we, we face this draw in our lives to have church, to have the kingdom, and to have Jesus in our image, focused on us, 
our likes, our wants, our desires. And when those aren't met, we are tempted to fall away, to walk away, to find a church that maybe presents Jesus as as we'd rather have him, or to find a church that serves our needs better. We want the focus of church far too often to be upon ourselves. But the focus is designed to be on Jesus. And we are tempted to meet and to appeal to other people's felt needs and desires as we try to make church more appealing and acceptable to them. We try to grow our church by making it more appealing to people's needs. We try to grow our church by making it less offensive. But we stifle what the Word says. We stifle who Jesus is. We reshape the message just like the children in that parable. You don't like the happy dance? I've got a, I've got a grumpy dance, too. You know, you got fire and brimstone on one side. That's going to appeal to some people. you got touchy-feely on the other side, right? But you see, it's not really about Jesus needing to change his image or the church changing their mission to be more acceptable. The message God gave his disciples through Jesus, the message Jesus proclaimed, the message John the Baptist proclaimed, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't overlook what the call to repentance is about. Repentance is about us turning us changing, us recognizing and stopping. And the church is tasked with calling others to do the same thing as well. Repentance is us changing as we look to Jesus to make us acceptable, to reconcile us to God, We exist for that work, the transformation of ourselves into Christ's likeness, not the transformation of Christ into ours. And when we recognize the greatness and the beauty of that, we gather together and we are compelled to worship him as he is. Because when we change, we see him as he is. And he's beautiful. And he's loving. And he's kind. And on top of that, the gospel, the good news of the coming of the kingdom, is the thing that we have of importance and eternal significance to offer the world. It might not be what they want, 
but it's what they need. They don't need stadium seating, comfy chairs, fancy music. Those are nice to have. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but what they really need is salvation. The very thing Jesus pointed to. He said, I bring deliverance. That's what people need. So why would we offer them anything else? And why wouldn't we ourselves seek anything else? Why do we long for things of lesser glory? Blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus. Think upon that. I'm going to pray us out. There will be a time of response. You can come forward if that's weird because you don't know me. That's okay. Find somebody else in the church you do know and feel comfortable sharing something with if it's on your heart. But simply sit where you are and go to God. The invitation time of the worship band will sing us out. So if you would, please pray with me. Dear Lord, Help us to not be offended by you. Help us to appreciate the beauty and glory of you and your mission. The beauty and glory of your death on the cross for the sake of our sins, Lord. So that we could experience your mercy and reconciliation. So that we could experience your kingdom as it exists now and in its fullness in the age to come. Thank you, Lord. We ask that you strengthen and protect us and help us to minister and proclaim your love to a lost and dying world. Help us, help us to not fall into temptation to meet their wants and their desires, Lord. Help us to remain faithful to the message you have given us. In the name of Christ Jesus, your Son, we ask all of these things. Amen.
Would you stand and sing, and then we're free to leave. This is amazing grace.